Greetings from St Bride's Church, Fleet Street, here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're tuning in to this podcast during the season of Epiphany. Do please leave a comment or a like, it's always good to hear from you. And if you'd like to donate to help support these online services, you'll find details of how to do so in the accompanying text. And now, may the light and peace of Christ be with you all as our worship begins. welcome you very warmly to St Bride's to our service of choral evensong on this the second Sunday of Epiphany. Wherever you are in the world and however you're listening to us, we hope that you will feel that you are very much part of the St Bride's family. Beloved, we are come together in the presence of Almighty God and of the whole company of heaven to offer unto him through our Lord Jesus Christ our worship and praise and thanksgiving, to make confession of our sins, to pray as well for others as for ourselves, that we may know more truly the greatness of God's love and show forth in our lives the fruits of his grace, and to ask on behalf of all men such things as their well-being doth require. Wherefore, let us kneel now, and humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Let us pray. (coughs) 
Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. May the Almighty and merciful Lord grant unto you pardon and remission of all your sins, time for amendment of life, and the grace and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
The Old Testament lesson is written in the first book of the prophet Samuel, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, there was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time, when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out into the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end, for I have told him that I will judge his house for ever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering for ever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord, let it do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The New Testament lesson is written in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthily of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he is ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no mere children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
beauty of our nature by the riches of thy grace, and in the renewal of our lives make known thy heavenly glory, through Jesus Christ thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our first reading this evening from the book of Samuel addresses one of the most interesting questions in the whole of the life of faith, namely, how can you tell what is or is not the call of God? And it is one of the things I have had to think about a great deal, because one of the most fascinating and also, it has to be said, most challenging areas of ministry in which I've been involved for much of my ordained life has been in vocations work. In other words, evaluating and selecting candidates who feel that they may be called to the ordained ministry. It is fascinating because it's always extraordinary and often profoundly moving to hear individuals speak about their own experience of life and their experience of faith and the process by which they have come to feel that they may be called to priesthood. It is challenging because, of course, from the human end of things, how on earth can any of us set about trying to determine whether or not God really is calling this particular human being to that particular ministry? It's an exercise that is by definition fraught with peril because how can any person or institution prove or disprove what is in the mind of God? But of course, we do have to have some kind of evaluation process. We need it partly for the protection of the individuals who feel called. I should say at this point that I absolutely love my life as an Anglican priest, and I would never have chosen to do anything else. But believe me, the ordained life is so peculiar and so demanding and so taxing on so many levels and so unlike anything else, and it has such ludicrous terms and conditions attached to it that anyone who doesn't have a vocation for it is unlikely to survive it. But we also need a proper discernment process for the protection of everyone else, because as an ordained priest, you are in a position of absolute trust. You handle the sacred flame of people's lives. You have to have the pastoral and emotional and personal and spiritual resources to be able to deal with the most difficult of situations, with tragic death in appalling circumstances, with the whole range of people's fears and anxieties, their anger, their hurt. And if you lack the skills you need to do that, you can cause a great deal of damage, albeit unwittingly. Which is why I'm, still, uh, I'm told that it's still a criminal offence to impersonate an Anglican clergy person. So, in relation to vocations, we have to have a very careful system in place in which we do our best to listen carefully and attentively, setting aside all prejudice, because God really does call the most surprising of people sometimes, people who turn out to have the most amazing ministries. But we also need a system that's very rigorous, in which we can explore with each candidate the resilience of his or her faith, their pastoral and emotional intelligence, their capacity to reflect on experience and think things through their ability to work with others, and much else besides. 
And for all its inevitable shortcomings, I've generally felt that the system we have, at least most of the time and when operated properly, is about the best system, or certainly the least worst, that we could come up with. Interestingly enough, one recurrent motif that I've often glimpsed in some of the strongest candidates who've been sent to me in the past is an element of surprise somewhere along the line, in the sense that this is emphatically not where they ever, for a moment, imagined they would end up. And yet, they have an overwhelming sense that they need, at the very least, to test this strange inner conviction that they have that they must explore this issue. The sense that they might have a vocation has left them with a sense of divine restlessness. Conversely, the people that I often worry about most are precisely those candidates for whom it is all far too clear-cut. I'm here because God has called me, or the church needs people like me, which even if they don't say it explicitly, you know that's what they're thinking. All of which raises a broader question that is relevant to all of us, regardless of whether or not we happen to be ordained or feel we might have a ministerial vocation, which is, how can any of us tell what is and what is not the voice of God? Many years ago, a woman who then attended the church where I was based came to see me informally. Her life had been a catalogue of disasters, which, judging by the story she told, largely arose from the fact that she was absolutely convinced that God was constantly telling her to do all kinds of different things, most of which didn't work out at all. The bit that I remember most clearly was the occasion when God told her to move to Spain, which turned out to be a complete nightmare in every respect. But for me, the thing that set all kinds of alarm bells ringing was that, interestingly enough, God seemed to be telling her all the time to do things that actually she rather fancied doing, moving to Spain being a case in point. I strongly suspect that her God would never think of calling her to go and live in a bleak council estate in the inner city or to sell all that she had and give everything to the poor. Because the reality is that when God really does speak, it is more often than not a voice that contradicts every one of our assumptions that cuts across our own sense of what we should be doing, that trounces our own personal wishes, that certainly coheres with my own experience. Many years ago, before I was ordained, I trained as a school teacher, and as part of my training, I needed to find somewhere to live for the three months when I was on teaching practice. I'd been packed off to an unknown town which had very little in the way of rented accommodation available, and certainly not for such a short period. I made various trips there, desperately trying to find somewhere to live, but without avail. At the end of yet another of these fruitless visits, I was walking back to the train station when I found myself going past a church hall that clearly had a toddler group going on inside it. I walked past, got halfway down the road, turned round in my tracks and went back to the church hall. 
I have absolutely no idea what made me do that. I was aged 24, I was unmarried, I had not the slightest interest in small children, so the very last place I would ever think of going was a toddler group. But nevertheless, I felt compelled to go there. And as I entered the hall, I happened to meet the vicar coming out. He invited me into his office and I explained my situation. And I can remember saying, I need somewhere to live, but surely I can be of help to somebody too. There must be somebody there who would appreciate a bit of company or who I can help in some practical way. He wrote down my details and off I went. Anyway, I didn't hear anything for several days, but one evening I got a phone call from that vicar giving me a phone number to ring. He had put my request for accommodation into the parish magazine, and one of his parishioners, a young woman recently divorced and with two small children, had responded. What emerged out of all of that was a brilliantly and mutually beneficial arrangement that neither she nor I could possibly have planned had we actually tried to do so. She had to work evenings several days a week. She taught cordon bleu cookery classes in the evenings. And so as her lodger, I not only helped her out financially, but I was also very happy to babysit for her when she was working. The whole thing worked perfectly. Oh, and because she had to try out all her recipes at home, I had the additional benefit of cordon bleu cuisine thrown in every single evening. That's what I mean about the unexpected. I was able to help meet somebody else's needs in all of that. What was it that made me feel compelled to turn in my tracks and walk into an unknown church that was hosting a toddler group? I have absolutely no idea. What I can say is that that experience is entirely of a piece with many, many other such experiences that I've had throughout my ministry. All of which brings us back to the story of Samuel, the servant of Eli in the temple, who, asleep one night, hears a voice calling him. And naturally, he assumes it's Eli. So Samuel goes to him and is told to go back to sleep. He does this twice more until Eli, recognizing that this must be something to do with the ways of God, instructs the boy to respond to the call which he now believes very firmly must be of God. And the message that Samuel gets in reply is very far from being a message of comfort. Samuel neither sought that message for Israel, nor was it a message that he found it easy to communicate. But that was the mark of its authenticity. It also happened to be the start of Samuel's ministry. The ways of God are not our ways, because the life of faith in a turbulent world will never be easy. But to be prepared to hear the call of God and to follow it will always open new possibilities of a richness that we could never otherwise even begin to imagine.
Amen. Let us pray. Spirit of God, come to your church. Fill it with your life and grace. May we be good news to the poor in spirit and wealth. We ask for your blessing on all who serve this community of St. Bride. On Alison, our rector, Sarah, our bishop, Justin and Stephen, our Archbishops. We pray also today for the Church in Tampere in Finland and for Matti Repo, Bishop. In our own diocese, we pray for Catherine Hederley, Area Dean, and for the City Deanery staff. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. Spirit of God, come to the nations. Challenge them with your justice and equity. May we work for the liberty of all. We ask for your blessing on our Queen and our government and the leaders of the nations. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. Spirit of God, Come to all weighed down by oppression and violence. Inspire all who work for peace, reconciliation and justice. Amongst them we pray for journalists around the world. Lord, in thy mercy, 
hear our prayer. Spirit of God, come to all who suffer in body, mind or spirit. Send your healing presence on all in need. We remember before you those in our parish community in this city and around the world who are in need at this time. May earth and heaven resound with your praise. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. Spirit of God, come to all who grieve or mourn. Proclaim your favour to all who have died. We remember before you all the recently departed and those whose year's mind comes at this time. May we, with them, come to the fulfilment of your promised redemption. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. We commend ourselves and all for whom we have prayed to the mercy and protection of God. Merciful Father, accept, accept these, these prayers, prayers for, the for the sake, sake of, of thy, thy Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Amen.
The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always.